0: Hi, I'm Mick, one of the founders of Are We Europe, a really European magazine and media. You might have heard of us, but if not, we're big fans and friends of the Europeans. I hosted a chain this summer, and since the start of this year, we've started working more closely together with Katie and Dominic and the rest of the team. At Are We Europe, we launched our membership program this week. If you like border-breaking journalism and European stories, why not join our club? We will send you beautiful print magazines, multimedia stories, documentaries, and yes, more special podcasts with the Europeans in return. I know many of you already kindly support the Europeans on Patreon. Why
1: not come and join us too?
0: Membership starts at 4 euros a month. Just go to areweeurope.com to find out more. That's areweeurope.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Europeans Podcast, the show that stubbornly attempts to make the goings-on of Europe sound at least vaguely interesting. Uh, This week, I actually think we don't need much help because uh, for once... Ursula von der Leyen, Commission President of the EU, has been headlining.
1: You make it sound like a fun festival.
0: Yeah, she's been headlining for all the wrong reasons. I don't think it's been a very fun festival vibe in the Commission President's office this week, has it?
1: Definitely not a fun festival vibe. Super awkward. And you may be thrilled to hear that we are not
0: going to talk about the vaccine wars this week. But I will start by asking you, Katie, Why did we both decide to live in countries that are vaccinating at the scale of tortoises?
1: I don't know. It's extremely embarrassing.
0: I mean, France is doing marginally better than the Netherlands. uh, And the Dutch government did discover that they think they've been undercounting their vaccinations by about 120,000 and bumped their numbers up.
1: Oh, small mistake to make.
0: Yeah, but it's still shockingly slow. And actually, I think a lot of the talk this week about the EU failure in the procurement of vaccines uh, has provided some political cover for the governments of our countries, along with Latvia and Croatia, other countries that have been particularly slow.
1: Yeah, there's been a nice big sort of target on uh, Ursula's back there for people to aim at which is pleasantly distracting for other governments, I guess.
0: Anyway, I just said we're not going to talk about it, so I don't know why we are, frankly. And I think it's probably your
1: fault. Why is it my fault?
0: We're probably breaking some European, like, false advertising directive by talking about it. So tell me, how's your week been?
1: I had an absolutely crazy week. did some travelling this week.
0: No way. Where did you go?
1: Down the road. Uh, My friend who lived on the road had to go away for the night. So I went and slept there so that I could look after her tiny little kitten. And honestly, it felt like going on holiday, even though it was five minutes walk away. I got to like sleep in a different place, live in different surroundings, use a different Wi-Fi network. At this stage, it felt like a full vacation, given how much my world has shrunk. Um, so I really recommend it. If you know anyone who needs a cat sitter, do it. It's great.
0: Well, it's really weird you're saying this because I am currently cat sitting as well.
1: Ah. And
0: I'm having exactly the same feeling. I've been like, oh, my God, I'm on holiday. Also just down the road. My friend had to go away for work for four nights. I'm getting four nights, Katie. Now I'm jealous. thought I was doing well. It really feels like I'm yeah, in an Airbnb. I love it. With a little cat. That's cute. Funny we had the same thing to talk about. That's really weird.
1: Well, there you are. It's a new trend, European cat setting. Um, What are we talking about this week?
0: Today, we are going to discuss the huge sweeping regulations to our online world that the European Commission are working on right now. I doubt anyone at home is currently fist pumping with joy. Yeah, they're going to discuss the Digital Markets Act, the Digital Services Act... It is quite difficult to get excited about, but actually the Commission are attempting a world-first continent-wide legislation to make the internet a safer and fairer place for us all. Woo! Yeah, I think it's potentially exciting, but what does it mean and will it work? We will be speaking to Ukrainian tech journalist and host of the Tech EU podcast, Andriy Daigler, later in the show. But first, it's time for the segment with the scariest jingle in all of European podcasting land... Good week, bad week.
1: That's your own singing that you're dissing there. Week, week.
0: Who's had a good week, Katie?
1: The French village of Le Chambon-sur-Lignon has had a good week because it has just emerged that they have inherited a huge amount of money from someone who found shelter in the village as a refugee during World War II. It's a really sweet story, actually. Uh, Eric Schwamm and his family were originally from Austria, from Vienna. And in 1943, like so many Jewish families, they were forced to flee Vienna. And they ended up in this village in southeastern France. And that might sound kind of surprising because this village is really pretty far from Austria and it's pretty remote. It's way up in the mountains. But the thing is that even before World War II, Le Chambon-sur-Lignon had this really long history as a place of refuge. It's a historically Protestant village in a Catholic country, and that seems to be where it got this tradition of offering safety to people who were suffering persecution of some kind. They hid priests there during the French Revolution. Spanish Republicans came to hide out there during the Civil War. And when it came to the Holocaust, the same principle applied. The village ended up protecting about 2,500 Jewish people during the war. Wow. Yeah. And Eric was one of them. Uh, The family were hidden in a school in the village. It's not really clear how they got there, but the town hall thinks that the family probably got there with the help of a young Swiss social worker. And uh, yeah, Eric would have been only about 13 when he arrived. And the family ended up staying in the village until 1950. He spent his entire teenage years there.
0: Do we know anything about what his time there was like?
1: Not that much, really. Uh, Eric sadly passed away last month at the age of 90, And he gave away his entire life savings to the village, quite a large amount of money, I should add. But yeah, we don't really know that much. And ever since he died, the village has been calling for more information and going through records to try and find out a little bit more about the family and how they ended up in the village and what their time was like there. But in terms of what the village was like during the war, there's a really moving page about it on the US Holocaust Museum website about the village. And they quote a woman called Elizabeth Koenig Kaufman, who arrived there as a kid. And this is what she had to say about what it was like. She said, "'Nobody asked who was Jewish and who was not. Nobody asked where you were from. Nobody asked who your father was or if you could pay. They just accepted each of us, taking us in with warmth, sheltering children, often without their parents, children who cried in the night from nightmares.'" Um, I'll put the link to that website in the show notes, actually, because it's it's really quite remarkable.
0: What a heartwarming
1: story. Yeah, it is. Do we
0: know what happened to him after the war?
1: We don't actually know a huge amount because he was apparently very discreet. We do know that he went to study pharmacy after the war and evidently did pretty well because he apparently left something like two million euros to the village, which is a lot of money for a village of just... 2,500 people. What are they going to do with the money? Yeah, well they're going to spend it on education and scholarships because that's what Eric wanted. Uh, he specifically wrote in his will that he wanted to thank the village for giving him an education. It's it's just a really lovely story. I feel a bit bad about mentioning it because I read this interview with a local official who said that Eric really didn't want a fuss being made about this and, and yet it's turned into this quite big story, a heartwarming story that people are sharing across Europe. So let's not make it about him but I think we should make it about this really lovely village that has done so much over the centuries to give safety to people who need it.
0: You've literally just talked about him for three minutes.
1: (laughs) Sorry, Eric. (laughs) Who's had a bad week?
0: Yeah, it's been a bad week for the EU. Not for the obvious reasons that you may have heard about already, but because the UN's Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights published a pretty critical statement following a two-month exploration into poverty he went as far as describing the EU constitution as not fit for the purpose of combating poverty.
1: That's not great.
0: No, it's not. And he said he saw a lot of good intentions, but good intentions are not enough. The European Union is still failing far too many people.
1: I'm guessing the pandemic hasn't made anything any easier in Europe. But uh, like, what are the poverty rates like in the EU right now?
0: I was shocked at quite how bad poverty rates are in the EU. One in five people living in the EU experiences poverty. And when you look at children, it's even higher. Over 23% of children living in the EU are living in poverty. Wow. Yeah, there's been an assumption that getting people into employment will solve a lot of the poverty crisis. And employment has been rising since 2013, and people in employment are less likely to live in poverty. But the rapporteur stresses that employment alone isn't solving the problem.
1: He said there's a problem with the the EU constitution, like the way it's set up. Like what exactly is wrong with these kind of structures that makes it hard to fight poverty?
0: Well, it's a long, long statement and he has lots of different ideas of what multiple things are going wrong. But yeah, this confronting theory that the EU constitution is fundamentally ill-suited to combat poverty comes from the idea that the internal market creates a race to the bottom when it comes to income tax corporation tax and also salary levels Um, and he says that whilst eu member states are asked to be competitive and lean they are forgiven for not being social enough so basically the constitution has too much emphasis on the financial side of things and keeping your budget in order and not enough emphasis on keeping your people out of poverty.
1: So were there any like targets for the EU to aim towards on on fixing poverty, like things that we should be doing?
0: The previous target for taking 20 million people out of poverty by 2020 was missed by 8.8 million. And the rapporteur, who's this Belgian uh, guy called Oliver Schutter, thinks that there is a reluctance now to set new targets because... I think people think they're also likely to be missed.
1: So what does he actually advise them?
0: Well, he recommends setting a goal of a 50% reduction in poverty by 2030, in addition to an inequality target. He points out that only in the Netherlands and Ireland is there a minimum income guarantee which is above the poverty line which is wild. That's one of his proposals. He encourages that an EU-wide minimum income framework is adopted. He also suggests that investment in children's education and training should not be included in this maximum 3% budget deficit rule. So they should be allowed to spend more on children's education, even if that takes them above this budget deficit of 3%. Wow. Obviously, there is this huge 750 billion coronavirus recovery fund, which has been passed, and the EU is soon going to approve the projects that will be funded with this money. Hopefully, some of that money will do something. But Deschute is worried about how the money from the recovery fund is going to be spent. He witnessed a time-constrained process where countries were struggling to work out how best to spend the money, and he fears that the plans are not fully tailored to the needs of people in poverty. He also criticised some of the projects for not having been created with the involvement of people living in poverty themselves. Anyway, the final report will be presented to the UN Human Rights Council in June of this year, Hopefully, the leadership in the EU will have had some time to process these points, despite the obvious other news that's keeping them busy at the moment. But for now, bad week for the EU. In general. I feel a bit bad for mentioning another terrible thing for the EU, but I think it's important we talk about it. And it doesn't mean that there aren't also great things about the EU, um, which we will talk about in other weeks.
1: (laughs) Good save. Three excellent new people started supporting the podcast this week. Huge thanks go to Sam Baker, Nina Martini and Darren O'Brien. I'm guessing it's abundantly clear by now that this podcast is not made by some huge news organisation like the New York Times. We are a tiny little team and the Europeans uh, remains a labour of love into which we pour unhealthy amounts of time and energy so that you have a European podcast to put in your ears each week. Um, So if you've got a couple of spare euros or dollars or pounds a month, We would be massively, massively grateful if you could help chip into our fund on Patreon.com so that we can keep making it. In doing that, you get access to our very lovely Facebook group where people post all kinds of interesting stuff from around Europe. And depending on how much you pledge, you could also get a personalised voice message from me and Dominic or physical post from Paris and Amsterdam. Who doesn't love physical post? head on over to patreon.com forward slash europeans podcast
0: i mean you can even get a bag
1: yeah actually please sign up for the thing where you get the bag (laughs) because i still have about 50 of them in my apartment and it would be really nice to get rid of them given that thing that is happening in the news right now what thing that thing. That thing. That thing that has dominated all of our lives for like a year now.
0: Is that what Lauren Hill was singing about?
1: Maybe it was. She's the new Nostradamus. Yeah, but given the C-word, it's felt recently like, even given all that, there's been a surprising number of big technology stories in the news in Europe recently. Um there was of course that awful, awful TikTok-related story in Italy, which Dominic talked about last week. Um, but a couple of other things that you might miss this week. Did you see that Grindr, the dating app, got fined 10 million euros for sharing people's data without consent?
0: Yeah, I did see that. It sounds pretty bad.
1: Naughty, naughty. The other one that you might have missed over the past week was this horrible story in North Macedonia um, about a group on the messaging app Telegram where tens of thousands of people were sharing revenge porn and pictures of underage girls. It is horrible. And the country is now threatening to block Telegram completely. Um, These stories aren't directly EU related. North Macedonia Norway aren't even in the EU, but they did remind us that how to regulate the internet is something that we are increasingly preoccupied by on this continent. These massive companies that we all depend on for these huge aspects of our lives now, they are increasingly having run-ins with European regulators uh, as we try to work out how to get them to serve us as people rather than just themselves as businesses. And we were reminded as we were chatting about this this week, Dominic and me, that there's actually two really big new laws coming down the pipeline that are going to change the way that we regulate the internet in Europe. What are they called, Dominic?
0: They are called the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act, or the DMA and the DSA.
1: And did we or did we not get really bored trying to understand what they meant this week?
0: Your question is the answer.
1: We got very bored, but we know that they're really important and both of us care a lot about the internet and how to make it better. So we thought what we would do is we would ring up someone who could explain what this means for the internet in Europe in a way that wasn't going to put us to sleep. And that person is Andre Degler, presenter of the Tech EU podcast.
0: You obviously cover tech day to day. So I was wondering if you could try and help give us a very brief explanation or a summary of what this regulation is trying to do.
2: So DMA, that's Digital Markets Act, and DSA, Digital Services Act, they are two very different beasts that are at the same time do come in one package, which was proposed in December last year. And if we have to make it very simple, then the DMA is the one that is about competition and antitrust. And then the DSA is the one that is about content. DMA is uh, based on all the big stories about fines that the European uh, Commission has imposed over big tech for antitrust behavior. So basically stifling the competition, stifling these uh, smaller players in the industry. And the DSA is about content moderation. And this is about uh, creating a framework for big tech uh, companies, the big tech platforms to be accountable for how they moderate content and uh, how they remove illegal content from their platforms.
1: Got it. Very simple. Thank you. And how much do you think these laws are actually going to change the way that these massive tech companies actually behave?
2: First of all, this is a set of rules that tells these uh, big uh, companies Google, Amazon, Facebook, and so on, that they cannot use data that they gather on one line of their business to use in other lines of their businesses. And this is first of all seen uh, with Google because Google has its tentacles all over uh, different industries. And in this case, it will limit its possibilities in a very big way, uh, that's for sure. So we may see less interaction between different lines of Google's businesses between, for example, Maps, and, I don't know, Gmail, for example, right? Or between uh, uh, Drive and uh, whatever else Google is doing. And the DSA is more about uh, content moderation and being accountable for the ways that content moderation works and the algorithms work. And uh, one really important thing, it's not uh, the same thing as uh, the uh, uh, law that uh, there is in the US uh, that some people are trying to uh, remove, the Section 230. So the platform still will not be accountable uh, for content that's illegal, uh, that's on their platforms, unless they know it's illegal.
0: So how are these big tech companies responding to the announced regulation?
2: The response has been mostly positive, and this is something that I guess you would expect. Like, why would you go public and say something against the regulations that are supposedly really good for the market and uh, for the consumers? And some companies actually took uh, the opportunity to attack some other companies. In particular, uh, Facebook was responding to the Markets Act saying that it is uh, great, and now it's going to rain in apples. Apple's effort to, as they put it, harm developers and consumers. So Facebook thinks that uh, in particular, uh, this uh, regulation will influence how Apple can uh, use its influence over, for example, App Store or all, all the others think that it's doing.
1: There was this horrible, horrible TikTok related death in Italy last week, uh, which we talked about on the podcast. And some of this regulation is aimed at trying to reduce the harmful real life impact of stuff on the internet. Can regulation actually stop that kind of thing happening, though? I mean, sometimes I just think there is so much stuff appearing on these websites every second, even with the best regulation, how are moderators supposed to keep up with that?
2: Actually, unfortunately, as far as I understand the way uh, the regulation is formulated right now, it is not going to stop uh, the content uh, that we call harmful. It is only about illegal content. The way that uh, illegal content is defined may be different in different countries. And I'm afraid that uh, the sort of content that led to the death of this uh, 10 year old uh, girl in uh, Italy is uh, at the moment not uh, included in this definition.
0: Obviously, these problems and these companies exist on multiple continents. Um, So I was wondering, will the European legislation affect how they run outside the EU
2: too? I think it is certainly uh, going to influence their business in general, the way, for example, uh, the GDPR uh, has influenced the global operations of uh, all these uh, bigger companies. Because, uh, again, European citizens can be located anywhere, right? And um, in, in many ways, it is about the European citizens. So, yes, I think so. Uh, but I'm not expecting that they would fully harmonize uh, the way they operate uh, on on different continents. I think there will be uh, still differences, which again, makes me think that uh, Europeans and Europe are going to be in better position in many ways than, for example, the US, unless more regulation is introduced on that side of the Atlantic.
1: And yet all of these, well, not all of them, but the massive companies that are most affected by these new pieces of legislation, they are all American companies. Is there something about the way that tech works or something about the rules of the game here that have stopped Europe from having a massive tech company? Like, we're a rich continent, why haven't we got one?
2: It's really hard to to pinpoint, uh, but uh, uh, one of the reasons would be that even the companies that are getting big indeed in Europe... They tend to move to the U.S. They tend to get incorporated in the U.S. They tend to go public in the U.S. Uh, You can look at Spotify, for example, which is a very, very big success story uh, from Europe, uh, which is listed uh, in the U.S. It's really hard also to sometimes find very uh, large amounts uh, in funding in Europe. And also, I'm afraid sometimes some companies that could become big in Europe, they tend to sell to bigger companies that tend to be from the US. Mm. But I'm sure that we will have more success stories and we will have much uh, more uh, bigger companies in Europe uh, for down the line.
0: Sticking with the US for a second, quite a lot of people were surprised, I think, in America when leading Europeans like Angela Merkel and the French finance minister Bruno Le Maire showed concern at the fact that Twitter and Facebook had decided to block Trump from their platforms. I think most expected that Europeans would join the international celebration of the silencing of this man who'd incited this awful attack on the nation's capital and tried to overturn the democratic process. Why do you think these European politicians who aren't fans of Trump or his agenda were critical of the move by Twitter and Facebook?
2: I was so surprised by this, really, myself. It's uh, the only positive comment that I have seen so far. The only person who said that it was good that uh, Twitter uh, banned uh, Trump was uh, none else but Margrethe Vestager. Uh, So she is the face of the antitrust uh, fight of the European Commission against uh, the big tech. So she was the one who uh, introduced uh, most of the investigations against uh, big tech in uh, operating in Europe, in France, uh, in Germany, uh, even uh, even Thierry Breton, uh, the digital commissioner, uh, they were all saying that uh, it's not great that uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook and other platforms uh, banned Trump. I'm not sure why, because if I think about, uh, and we can go back to the Digital Services Act, I am pretty sure that the way the Digital Services Act is built, under this regulation, Twitter, for example, would be totally in its right, to do what it did to Trump. Mm. This is exactly why we have this regulation, because this is just the framework, right? But under this framework, I'm pretty sure that a ban of Trump or a person like Trump would certainly be fair game. And this makes me think that first of all, uh, many of uh, the governments, maybe they don't fully understand uh, where this uh, whole regulation is going. Or uh, what they mean is that they really want to see uh, this regulation first to understand what may happen and to understand what they could expect. Because in the US, the situation with deplatforming of uh, Trump came uh, sort of unexpectedly for Trump himself and uh, many other people. And in the EU, if we have the Digital Services Act, this could be more of a predictable uh, sort of thing. Before we
0: let you go, I just have one final kind of... uh... Looking into the future question, I was wondering, how optimistic are you that this regulation is going to improve the Internet?
2: So I am pretty optimistic uh, about it, uh, but uh, what has to be uh, thought of uh, when we think about uh, this Digital Services Act, Digital Markets Act, and so on, it is going to take a whole lot of time before it actually becomes law that is implemented and introduced across member states. So now it is called a legislative proposal. Uh, This is something that was introduced in December 2020, so last month. Now it's going to take about a year and a half, give or take, uh, until it goes uh, through uh, the European Council and European Parliament. So that's going to be middle of uh, 2022. And after that, depending on uh, in which way is going to be approved, whether it's going to be a directive or a regulation, it's going to take another two, three years, give or take, uh, for uh, the uh, member states to introduce this as a law. In in the very best uh, scenario, we're talking about three years that it's going to take for these things to be introduced. So I am indeed very optimistic, but I also understand that by the time Uh, this regulation is introduced across the EU, we may be facing some totally uh, different uh, challenges.
1: Another pandemic, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not even joke about it. No. (laughs)
0: Thank you to Andrew for joining us this week. You can hear him weekly on the Tech EU podcast, a weekly show which is pretty obviously about uh, tech in Europe. Time for some isolation inspiration. (laughs) What have you been watching or reading? I just assume you're only watching TV because... We're TV addicts.
1: I actually put something in my ears this week. Uh, I've got got a bit of a rogue choice. You know that feature on Spotify where it just gives you like a random playlist every week based on what the algorithm thinks you'll like?
0: Discover Weekly.
1: Yeah, and I've always found it quite good. This week I was cycling home after work, listening to this random playlist. And I know I shouldn't listen to music while cycling, but it was midnight and we're under curfew, so there was like zero traffic around. So I thought I'd have a nice time. Um, Anyway, I want you to listen to this little snippet, and imagine that you are cycling through a completely empty Paris on a cold and crispy night.
0: I imagine it makes you feel like you're in a film. Yeah. It's like a soundtrack.
1: It was just really magical and lovely. Um but this is what I revealed that this is actually a really weird recommendation because it is as you just saw from an album called Classics for Kids, Classics with an X kids with a Z, very funky spelling. Um, And it's a 1994 compilation tape designed for children who don't know anything about classical music. But that is me, basically. I am a child who knows nothing about classical music. So it's the perfect album for me. Does that count as classical music? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's a compilation tape of what seems to be mostly Central European orchestras. So there's the Polish National Radio Symphony on there, the Czechoslovak Symphony and the Slovak Philharmonic. So yes, it's definitely classical music. Anyway, it gave me a lot of uh, listening to this weird 1990s children's classical music album um, so I wanted to share it with you.
0: That's wonderful. I think Discover Weekly is yeah quite a magical thing. Swedish invention eh? we can. It's okay to talk about it although it as Andrew said it's now based in America.
1: We can still thank Sweden for it. Thank you Sweden. Um, what have you been watching this week and I assume in your case it has been something that you've been watching.
0: I'm watching Rita on Netflix. It's a Danish comedy drama about an a appealingly unconventional teacher and her family who live just the other side of the school bushes. Any fellow Borgen lovers will recognise the actor playing Rita as Cecile from borgon I think she's in season two. Um, I've only just started watching it, but I really like it so far. And it fits perfectly into that category um, that I know many of us are looking for at the moment of like distracting, relaxing TV where the stakes aren't too high.
1: That's exactly what I need right now.
0: But whilst I'm on school, just a very quick word to say that if anyone who speaks Dutch isn't already watching the documentary series Clussen following eighth graders in Amsterdam Nord just before they are divided up and sent off to different types of and levels of school, I think you should start now i'm not exaggerating when i say it's one of the best documentaries i've ever seen and it's making me cry and just marvel at how amazing kids are and teachers teachers i know it's obvious but it can't be said enough that society owe you a lot thank you teachers klassen
1: thank you teachers
0: Lisa is a nurse from Sweden. She's one of the many heroes of the medical profession over the last year who've worked their socks off trying to keep us well. She's described herself as being pretty drained from her work on COVID wards, but this week she's getting a complete change of scene because she has been selected by the Göteborg Film Festival to watch all 60 films from their festival programme on her own, in a lighthouse in the middle of the sea on a tiny island. And the festival say they were looking for someone who was a true movie fan and someone who was up to the physical and emotional challenge of it. Sounds like Lisa is that person. She's a film buff who is part of a local movie club and obviously she has good endurance being a nurse
1: (laughs) I can't decide whether that is amazing or something that I'd 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 be like yes I really want to do this and I'd get out there and I'd be like 60 films that's quite a lot And she hasn't got a telephone, has she?
0: She arrived on Saturday and is currently living there, as Katie said, without her phone, without a computer and even without books.
1: No books.
0: Yeah, her only occupation is to sit and watch films for seven days and she'll occasionally be handed a tablet to record some video diaries. There is one other person living on the island to hand Lisa the tablet and to be there just in case anything goes wrong. But otherwise, it's her, the screen, and a lot of wind and sea. Wow. Happy ending,
1: Lisa. I can understand like, why, of course, she wanted to get away and experience a completely different environment. I mean, just you and me, cat sitting this week, have been really enjoying that. I, I just I can't imagine how much you would need to just be somewhere different after working on COVID wards during the pandemic. Um, so I hope she has a really good time. I do think she will end up just thinking, oh, I'd love to just mindlessly scroll Instagram for like 15 minutes. And I can't do that.
0: I would that's the one part of it that maybe I would be up for because I feel increasingly bad scrolling Instagram and Twitter I really think it's not good and I know I should quit
1: it is alarming also how quickly you respond to my whatsapp messages thank you your phone is always in your hand it's disturbing but convenient for me
0: yeah I mean it's also that I don't have anything else to do right now do I (laughs)
1: Right, if we're done recording, uh, I'm going to go back to reading obsessively about the vaccine row. Woo!
0: Yay, and I'm going to go back to stroking my cat and scrolling Instagram.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hope the rest of you, even if you're not cat-sitting, are doing similarly calming things and that you're having a restful week. Thank you very much to Priyanka Shankar, Andre Papavichu, and Katz Laszlo for editing this week's podcast. We will be back next week. As always, you can find us all over the internet. Until then... If you are a Twitter person, we are there at Europeans Pod. If you are a pictures person, Instagram, we're there on Europeans Podcast. And we're on Facebook too under the Europeans Podcast. Farvel. Do. bad